Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. I'm Becca Piastrelli, and this is Belonging, where I talk about what it means to belong to the earth, to yourself, to your ancestors, and in community. Hi friends, welcome back to Belonging Podcast. It's Becca Piastrelli here, coming to you from a really sweet and sunny early spring day on the hill, recording this in the morning when the sun really hits the window of my office. We have this tree in our front yard blooming with pink blossoms, and I'm recording this uh, still and for the foreseeable future in COVID-19 pandemic shelter in place. I've been saying lockdown, but lockdown is what they are going through in other countries. That's not, it's not in a lockdown situation here, but still it's staying at home as much as possible, which is nearly all the time. And I'm finishing up my third week of this. And I wonder how this uh, recording will age a year from now and how I'll view the way I'm talking. Like, oh, she was just getting started or, oh, she just has to dig deep for a few more weeks. Who knows? Who knows? I've really surrendered into the acceptance stage of it, at least this morning. And uh, today's, today's interview is one I wanted to get out quickly. It's a conversation with Ayana Young of the For the Wild podcast. So Ayana is a profound filmmaker, radio personality, podcaster. She's an activist. She was a part of the Occupy Wall Street movement in New York City and helped co-found the Environmental Working Group. And her life has shifted a lot from living in New York or growing up in Southern California. As you'll hear, she lives kind of away from society in the woods, just north of me, not just north, quite a bit north of me, Northern California. 
And we talk about how she lives her life now and her commitment to a new way of being in this age of the Anthropocene, the age of man, which I have her talk about more. I really wanted to dig in with her on the psychological dimensions of living in the Anthropocene and moving through the very natural paralysis and discomfort and fear and grief that comes with these times, with climate collapse, with a worldwide pandemic, with so much that is coming our way. How can we find hope and action? I mean, I'm really feeling it growing life in my body, just thinking, what is this world I'm bringing this life into? And how how can I find joy in it? How can I find peace in it? How can I be a part of making it better and more just? So we do bring into the conversation um, what it means to be living in a pandemic and how we can adapt instead of deny what's happening, not just with the virus, but with what's happening globally with the shifts in climate, with what we're doing to the natural world and the way we are living, the systems we live in and the way we choose to live. What I really appreciate about this conversation is Ayana very honestly shares how she navigates fear and anxiety and grief that comes up for her. I sort of see her as this sort of fearless warrior for the earth. And I, it's just so humanizing to hear her talk about what she goes through and how she navigates it. We particularly honor the importance of grief. We both have a teacher in common named Joanna Macy, who does the work that reconnects, has been doing that for many, many, many years. And the importance of if we're going to be a part of shifting this world, shifting the ways we do this, we have to honor our grief of what's to come, of what's already passed, of what's happening now. And Ayana shares where we can find hope and action. She has some initiatives she's working on with her team that are truly incredible. So my wish for you is to breathe deeply, even through the parts that may challenge your way of being or what you believe or, yeah, what you feel. And stay on to the end where she shares some really awesome, powerful, impactful projects you can be a part of. And of course, listen to our amazing podcast for the wild. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Ayana Young. Ayana, I'm so grateful to be speaking to you. I want to say now more than ever. (laughs) I think that just has to do with this moment we're in uh, as humanity and the world, this We're speaking during the, what I believe to be the early days of the COVID-19 quarantine times, social distancing times, times of isolation. And um, you are someone I've really learned a lot from through your projects and through your podcast for the wild. I've heard you speak in person at Spirit Weavers of really... I see you as like fiercely looking the Anthropocene in the eyes and speaking about it and to it in ways where I see sort of like my scared little girl just not wanting to look at it, not wanting to look at climate collapse, not wanting to feel eco-anxiety, 
not wanting to feel unsafe. And I've always really seen you as someone who's like, yeah, I, of course I'm, I'm crying. I'm crying for the oceans and I'm crying for the old growth trees and, and we got to do something about it. So I really appreciate you coming on to belonging and chatting with me more about that really means a lot. Um, so one of the questions I ask people who come on belonging and any answer is the right answer is who are your people? Well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts about how I show up in the world and it feels really uh, just tender to hear that. So thank you. And to respond to your question around, yeah, uh, I would love to kind of hear an example of what you're thinking about for that question. I think I may have a response, but um, I want to make sure I'm going. Well, I guess you said that there's no wrong answer, but I'd be interested to hear what you think. Okay. Well, human beings are not the only response. Okay. So if you feel a connection to Mm -hmm. any other part of this world we live in, ancestral lineages Mm -hmm. can be a part Mm -hmm. of it, or also like a feeling of chosen family or, or values that you have in this world. All of those are what have been responded. Okay, great. Oh my gosh. Well, that just opens up a whole, whole other universe. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I would say my, I feel like I belong to my people and my people are definitely the trees, the redwoods, the madrones, the Douglas fir, the tan oak, the Pacific yew and chinkapin and the bushes and the manzanitas and the white thorn, the Douglas iris, the Sitka spruce. Oh my gosh, I could just continue on. I feel like salmon are my people and orca are my people. I feel, um, you know, I'm looking at my, my newest fur child. His name is Cutie and he's a rooster. So <laughs> he's definitely my um, and then I'm watching my cat Poe, very <laughs> stock cutie right now. So Poe's also my person, and I have, an, I have, uh, I guess seven fur children here that all feel like I so deeply belong to them as my my people. But yeah, I guess I feel really rooted in the earth as my family, and to the more than human world as people that give me so much strength and love and tenderness and inspiration and devotion both but on both sides the reciprocity of devotion with these yeah incredible beings and um i spend most of my physical time not with the human world although i spend a lot of internet time with the human world <laughs> so it's a kind of a weird mix of the human people element in my life, but there's also so many human people that I just absolutely adore and who bring me so much guidance and joy and really help hold the container of grief with me in this time. And, and so, yeah, this, I feel like I could answer like an hour of this question. So I'll pause where I'm at (laughs) because it's kind of a never ending answer. Yeah, that's beautiful brought a smile to my face that you 
sort of poured forth all that is the non-human world that you feel so at home in. And that's sort of how I picture you just because I've been a follower of yours for a while now. Like, And you live in like a coastal redwood area, right? Mountainous yeah. Mm-hmm. area. Yeah. With, with your animals and just like at home with the trees. I'm actually curious, did you always feel so at home with the wild maybe somewhere deep tucked inside my soul space but no it wasn't the way that I grew up I grew up in SoCal Southern California Um, I grew up in the suburbs there was a little park by my house it was quite small grass with some eucalyptus trees I think so really kind of random And I did actually go there and I used to play in this bush, this big bush that I could walk inside of and I would make up little games about, yeah, and I would climb trees. There was definitely elements that were yearning for that relationship with the natural world that I can think back on and and relate to at this point, but it wasn't a part of my culture that I was raised in. So it really took my own self to finally decide at some point when I felt confident enough and brave enough to release the way that I was raised and release the culture that I was raised within and say, I think there's something else out there and I'm just going to go for it. And I might look crazy and I might look like I'm not successful or I'm not a part of society in the same ways, but I was just so driven to be rebellious against what I was raised in in that way that it really pushed me to be so extreme in my um, in my journey. And yeah, so a lot of where I am now is not because of how, I mean, I guess it is because of how I was raised, but it wasn't like a smooth transition. It was really me standing up and saying, no, I'm not going to keep living that life. And I don't know what kind of life is on the other side because I don't even understand what that could feel like, look like. And and I think also when I was transitioning into a life further away from society, there like social media wasn't the same as it is now. Like, like now, if you kind of want to look at somebody living in the woods, there's like probably thousands of Instagram accounts where you can look at them hiking or hooking on a cast iron and be like, oh, that looks great. (laughs) But at the time that I was doing it, like that really wasn't a thing yet. So it felt very unknown. But uh, I did have my partner, March, who was so much more comfortable in the wilderness being rugged and dirty and smelly and like releasing creature comforts. And when I say creature comforts, I'm definitely talking about like physical comforts of actual like heat like like a dry mattress like things like water running water electricity i'm talking about those things but i'm also talking about creature comforts in socialization like i really realized that isolating myself was there was a challenge there like when i would be out in the woods for weeks on end and like at the beginning i just wanted to drive to town all the time just to be in town just to like literally go into a store and even if i was buying a 2 dollar cliff bar there was something comforting about that and so it's taken me years to not be comforted by consumer culture or by society in that way just feeling like there i could do like 
how to fill my time if it isn't in the ways that I was raised in. So there's there's so much there, but yeah, I it's been very challenging to shift the way that I relate to the world, but at this point it's very it's habitual. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, yeah, like I'm so used to yeah. it at this point. But uh, you know, I still I still deal with certain elements that are challenging still. Like I still kind of live like half camping. I have yet to and I never probably will have like a fully functional home in terms of like what functional homes seem like in today's modern culture in this country in the United States. And even though it's harder, I I love it. I absolutely love it and I love mm. to be humbled by the earth. I love when the earth is like no, you're cold right now. You're actually cold. Even though I kind of hate it, you know, I'm like, no, the bug bites and it's hot and I'm hot and or I'm like cold or I'm this, I'm not, you know, of course, like my body is a little annoyed, but my spirit is so fulfilled being so humbled, knowing that I'm not in control of these things. Mm -hmm. And there's so much relief in that because I don't have to falsely subscribe to human supremacy. I can really just be in my small humility and being reminded of that every day has totally changed my life. And I think that's probably what I'm, one of the things I'm most grateful for. Mm. And so then when you get like that comfort, like that patch of sun on a cold morning, I'm like thinking about the way my cats savor, like a warm patch of sun on a cold winter morning. Like my guess is like you're, all your cells receive it in this like deep way. Whew, does it ever? Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. that. I love that. And right. or or finding a cool patch of earth on a hot ass day where I'm I'm covered yeah. in bug bites. Like I don't even use bug spray. People come out here where I live and there's a ton of mosquitoes in the summertime. Like even more mosquitoes than we're in the wilderness in Alaska, you know, like it's really kind of weird. And I'll have, you know, a hundred bug bites on my shin alone. And people are like, oh, like, don't you use bug spray? Or <sighs> you have bug spray? And I'm like, no, like I don't because there's a, it's an interesting how the body can acclimate to those irritations. Um, where used, I used to, when I'd get a mosquito bite, it would be like a welt on my thigh. It'd be like become this huge, I don't even know how to describe it. They'd be big. And now they're not as big. They're still annoying, <laughs> but I don't itch them. And I kind of am just hmm. I don't know. It's like a it's like a meditation. It's like a relationship with the bug bite. It's very it's funny. And I've never really talked to anybody about this, but now that we're in this very intimate <laughs> space, it it felt good to share with you. I mean, it feels inspiring to me in this moment. I mean, it seems to me you're probably faring a bit better in this shelter in place scenario than I am. It's almost like you've, you're set up for it. <laughs> mm. Well, I think in a lot of ways, like the shelter in place scenario, there's the physical element. And what I am missing out here is having human connection. So I'd say like in that way, I don't feel as set up just to have human community that I can mm. cry with and laugh with and, you know, kind of have that camaraderie. Um, so I'd say like, I, I feel a bit lonely in that way, but yeah. how I feel set up, even though I do feel a bit lonely is psychologically because I feel like through for the wild and the podcast, and even when it was unlearned and rewild, like seven, eight years ago, 
I have been psychologically preparing myself for collapse for a long time. And so I, I do feel set up in my spirit for things like this to happen because, you know, there's really only so much we can prepare for physically. Like, yeah, we can have extra food. Yeah, we can have water. But at the end of the day, we're all mortal. We're all going to die. None of us are getting out of this alive. So how do we live knowing that we're mortal and knowing that something will come for us all? And maybe it's this and maybe it's not this. But how do we deal with that spiritual reckoning and really be in right relationship to the earth and to our communities so that when times like this happens, crisis happens, we are really steady and we're really grounded in our inner knowing, in our earthly knowing of who we are and how we're in service to the creatures, human and non-human around us. So I do feel like a real psychological preparedness, not to say I don't have anxiety or fear or panic or moments of grief. I, I absolutely do. But this is not a shock to me. And what will happen most likely from this isn't shocking to me. It's something that I have known is going to come and many people have. And it's because really it's like, uh, you know, I see it as a symptom of climate change and globalization. And so mm -hmm. inevitably this was going to happen and other things will happen on top of this. And how do we really prepare spiritually, psychologically, emotionally? And I think back to one of my teachers, Joanna Macy, with the work that reconnects and I think in so many ways, her life's work has been about this. It's about working with humans to study themselves. So when times of crisis come, we are supporting each other rather than hurting each other. Yeah, that we're adapting rather than denying. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, I'll never forget my first Joanna Macy workshop. It was with a facilitator, not Joanna Macy in graduate school where we did the grief ritual and we did a grief ritual where we were all welcome to grieve for the earth, for the animals, for the trees, for whatever, for ways of life. And I had never seen that before mm. in my life. And I had never thought about what you brought up earlier, this container of grief that is so necessary in these times in all times, this container of grief. And I'm I'm wondering as we are sort of weaving this conversation around spiritual and emotional and psychological adapting to these times, like what do you have practices for grief or for anxiety? Or I'm also interested in how you connect with community in times that aren't shelter in place. Like what what have you done? Because I find myself sort of in awe of your way of life and wondering how you navigate this emotionally. Yeah. Well, baths are really a huge practice for me, as simple as that sounds. Probably my favorite part of industrialized civilization has been hot water on on demand. <laughs> that has been just an incredible mm -hmm. privilege and blessing. And so I really soaking in hot water or being with warm water or water. Honestly, I do a lot of cold plunging too. So just water in general, having the body 
be in direct connection with water is so healing and slows down my fight or flight feelings. It really like takes my nervous system and it, and it brings it to homeostasis and I can, I get really creative in the bath. I get really clear in the bath. I can process a lot and I'll stay in the bath for a couple hours. (laughs) I have this little like this little waterproof blanket that I took from some old insulation that I put on the bathtub because my bathtub's outside so it doesn't lose heat. And so I kind of just Ugh. lock myself in there and I, yeah, I just go in a lot of places in my mind. And then, um, and these are, I'm going to say some stuff that seems maybe really simple or basic, but so yeah, I think showers, baths, cold showers, hot showers, whatever you're into, they're both super good. And if you can do both of them, that would, I think, be the best. The other thing I've been doing lately is I've been giving myself time in the morning to be super slow. And I let myself just sit or lay in my bed and cuddle with my creatures. And as, you know, like I said, as basic as that sounds, like just not feeling like I have to rush right out of bed because I used to, the moment I woke up, the alarm would go off or I'd wake up before my alarm. Usually I'd turn on my phone and I'd start doing emails right away. And that really mm-hmm. set me up for much more stress and anxiety throughout the day. And so now, you know, I'll set my alarm for 30 minutes or even an hour really before I actually have to get up. And I will just relish in looking into my cat's eyes and just relish in every purr and every movement, like really slow down and just look at these creatures and my dogs. And I'll, and I'll just really like give them so much of my undivided attention. And that has been so beautiful. It's not like, oh, I'm scrolling on Instagram and then I'm like petting my cat. It's like, no, it's like nothing else matters in this moment, but me and you. And here we are touching and cuddling and I think cuddling is like way underrated as a practice, <laughs> as a, like a spiritual yeah. um, nourishment. It's so incredible to be affectionate with other creatures, whether that's trees or cats or dogs or roosters or lovers or family members. Like I'm really grateful for those moments. And, and uh, yeah, other grounding practices, just being quiet, really being quiet, no music, no no noise, no screens. I light candles every night. I just take that moment to not feel so full of so much stuff. Like whether it's like content from the internet or things to do or list or clean cleaning or anything. It's just like just let it go, let it go, let it go and clear the mind. And that's been something I do. Like I um I have a little wood stove and I sit in front of the wood stove for hours and I just watch the fire and I feel the heat on my body Mm. and I just let everything go. So yeah, these are some things that I do. Basic things, but they're they're like the real things I do every day. Yeah. No, we like basic. We like basic. It's a reminder to like our Western brains, like what has comforted our human selves throughout time, what comfort our ancestors. You don't need special apps or tools. It's all right here. Mm-hmm. It's all right here for us. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And, and I'll also say like just that reminded me when you were talking about your cat laying in the sun, like if you can go outside, especially during the shelter in place moments and just like sit 
in the sun or stand in the sun for a minute and like stretch your arms up. There's so much magic and Mm -hmm. there's so much healing in that, that I think, like I said, it's just really underrated how much we can get from very, very little things that we don't need to learn from somebody else or we don't need to purchase or anything like that. Yeah. Those things feel important. Right. And it's just about remembering and reminding ourselves in these times of paralysis, you know, that maybe when we feel our default go to a screen or to news um, or to, I don't know, some sort of habit that we don't feel actually serves to know that space and candlelight and water and stretching in the sun and touching a tree are the stuff, (laughs) the stuff that is, that can really shift us into a place of calm, parasympathetic response so that we can adapt and be responsive and be available. Yeah. So I'm just tuning into those who are listening to this episode and, and wondering if you can explain what Anthropocene means and, and why it's so important to be aware of it in these times. Yeah. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, the Anthropocene stands for the age of man, and it's an epoch that many scientists at this point have decided that we are now in a different geological time. The age of man, the sixth mass extinction, these are just ways of, of explaining what it is. And when I say the sixth mass extinction, we can think back to the Holocene, the Pleistocene, the times when dinosaurs went extinct. We're going through another version of that. And we're losing around 200 species a day. So we are rapidly seeing the extinction of creatures because of habitat loss, because of pollution, resource extraction, consumer culture, colonialism, all the things that we know are disrupting the cycles of life are actually really disrupting them, like truly, truly murdering and raping millions and millions of beings. And so that's the Anthropocene. And it's a you know, it's an intense, it's an intense time to be aware of what's happening. But if we're not aware, then how are we really going to be in right relationship? How are we really going to show up to and for the earth in this time if we're not clear on what's actually happening? And so I know that people feel just so not everybody, but many people feel so debilitated or like that freeze or like, what can I do? Well, we can't do anything. So like, I just can't hear it. But ultimately, this is what's true. What's true right now is we're in an extinction crisis, which is aggravated by climate chaos. And I think in a lot of ways, what we're seeing right now is that we didn't take the science seriously. We didn't take the voices of the indigenous leaders seriously when they would tell us things like, you know, there's only 76 orcas left. And if we lose five, they're all go- the whole yeah. JKNL pods are going extinct. Or the carbon is, the numbers are getting 
higher and higher for for the carbon in the atmosphere. And I think, you know, we'd hear these things, but it was like we couldn't fully experience them or take them in as a society. And so we didn't do much about it. It's interesting to see what's happening with COVID because we are doing something about it. And I honestly feel more hopeful than I've felt in the past decade. Cause I'm like, wow, people can change. Mm-hmm. We actually can change. Yeah. We can actually stop flying. We can stop doing these things that we thought were impossible. And the air is clearing and the wildlife trade is slowing down. And all of these things are happening when we thought and were told that there would be no way, or we just felt like, ah, I want to do it anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I know climate change, but like, I really want to go on this vacation. But it's like COVID is like, no, you're not. No, you're not. And it's incredible. It's absolutely amazing to watch the power and the adaptability of humans. We can adapt and we actually can change within a day (laughs) if we need to. And like, how brilliant is that? So, Mm -hmm. you know, the Anthropocene is heavy. and, And I really hope that this time that we're in right now, this COVID wake up, this enlightenment moment that we're going through wakes us up enough so that when eventually COVID becomes less intense, I don't think it's going to go away, but potentially it could slow down a lot, that we don't go back to business as usual. Because if we're afraid of this virus, and we'll, if we're willing to not do business as usual for the virus, we should be willing to not do business as usual for climate change. Because climate change is going to be way more yeah. dangerous in the long run than this virus will be. So I think it's a very interesting time to be aware of the Anthropocene, to know that it's real, to know that it's here. But I think we have a better chance than we've had to actually halt some extinctions. I think in some ways, like we're we're too late. We've let it go on too long. You know, the rhino, I think it's the white rhino, like they're gone. Like they're yeah. You know, like there's right. there's there's some stuff that it, like the glaciers are melting most likely like we're not going to be able to stop glacial melt in that way um in the way that it's happening you know there there's certain things that are on feedback loops and and that's just what it is but that doesn't mean that we need to keep destroying <laughs> like we can stop now and let's just see the magic of life let's see the wonder of earth mm-hmm. and see what kind of resilience these habitats and ecosystems have when we stop putting so much darn pressure on them Hmm. Right. There's like a meme going around that says climate change should hire the same publicist that COVID nineteen has. Yeah. And I think there's there's just there's something to that where I too feel the hope, knowing that if you know if we take it seriously enough, an entire planet of people can respond very fast. And so. It is my prayer too that once the curve is flattened, goes down around the world, that we can shift our ways of being. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but it is my prayer. Mm-hmm. Certainly, yeah. I I really appreciate you breaking down what the Anthropocene is and um, telling us the truth of it, acknowledging that it can feel really hard to hear, but that it's happening. That, it, that it's constantly happening. There's something there that feels like a tension in my body. I just always really want to be honest because I want to look at it. And then I think 
Okay, so in your One Million Redwoods, isn't that what's called your One Million Redwoods film? The When Old Growth Ends is the film, but the, I also have a project called One Million Redwoods. Sorry. You're right. You're right. Yes, I funded that. When Old Growth Ends is the film. And in, which we'll link to these in the show notes at belongingpodcast.com for anyone to take a look. In the trailer, either your voiceover says, were we born too late? Mm-hmm. And that really hits me sometimes of like the hopelessness of like, shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> were we born too late? You know, what can we do? How can we respond to this? How can we accept the inevitability of glacial melt? Like, so I'm sort of balancing that with like the hope I feel for the quick response to COVID with also just sort of this where we, I feel very, very angry about, you know, the several hundred years of colonization that my ancestors took a part of. I feel very angry and frustrated that, you know, the, we, the attempted genocide of indigenous people who have been saying for a long time that California has a fire ecology and it must burn. And, you know, for the fourth year in a row where I live has had forced blackouts and fear of fire and everyone's in this in the month of October is like jittery and freaked out and upset. I'm like, okay, like where are we born too late? Like how what do we do with that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, the I remember reading that line for the film, Were we born too late to undo the undoing? And Yeah, there has, we aren't going to be able to undo all the undoings. Either some of us were born too late or some of us were born not too late, but were either not willing to see the signs or didn't know how to fight or, you know, we were born into a system that does not respect earth at all. So some of it is some of it is definitely our individual responsibility and then of course there's the responsibility of the system but the system is also made up of people that create that system and that continue to feed that system so it continues to function and so um i'm definitely somebody who thinks the responsibility is in all of our hands and that's also not to blame everybody though too because there are people who get benefited from the system more. There are people who don't have as many choices. So, you know, it's a, it's complicated. There's no way to like speak about it from, from one angle for everybody, but yeah, you know, there are things we're not going to be able to undo. Like there are, like I was saying earlier, there are creatures that have gone extinct that we're not going to be able to bring back in our lifetimes and potentially millions of years to come. Like we're not going to be able to deal with the nuclear fallout or the nuclear waste that is in the storage facilities or into the ocean. Like what we've done with nuclear, like there's no undoing that at this point. We have totally messed up with creating nuclear. And the the best case scenario right now is just to close down the nuclear power plants and to try to find storage facilities for all the waste, which is extremely challenging because it never, especially in our lifetimes and for thousands of years, the toxicity doesn't go away. 
And then, you know, we could say the same thing about mining and all of the the waste that comes from mining for everything, including green technology, like the Green New Deal and green energy is creating toxic waste that will not go away for thousands upon thousands of years. And that waste will get into the soil and will get uptaken by the trees and the berry bushes. And then we will eat the berries or the salmon or the bears or whoever will eat the berries and then it goes into their tissue and then it gets released back into the earth. So yeah, there is a lot. There's a lot that we will not be able to undo. And there's so much grief in that. And there's so much pain and and sadness in that. And so how do we sit with that truth and that information of these horrific inventions of human ingenuity and realize like, okay, we're not going to be able to undo that. And yeah, in certain ways we are born too late to like live in a healthy, non-toxic world. <laughs> like that's not going to happen in our lifetimes, but we can still stop new projects. Like we don't need to build more pipelines. We don't need to build more nuclear facilities. We don't need new iPhones. We don't need to be flying all over the world. We don't need any of that stuff. So there are so many opportunities for us at this point to stop the rape and the pillaging of the earth and to shift our lifestyles so that we are not just externalizing all of these uh, all of this destruction that are created by our choices and that's a real powerful place to be in so it's like yeah we can't undo a lot of the stuff but we can stop it from moving forward and then when we actually stop the hemorrhaging from these resource extraction projects then we can start to heal and deal with the waste and the toxicity and the systemic pain that has been created that we're living within we can start to you know microremediate bioremediate take mushrooms or plants to clean soils and oil spills and not to say it's a silver bullet and that it fixes everything but it does it does do something and i think there are so many ways that we can boost the earth's immune system and support these habitats mm. are coming back. Like we've seen that when we let earth heal, plants return, fungi return, birds return, deer return, whatever, the mammals return. There are so many beautiful chances for life to start teeming again if we just let the earth rest and let the earth rejuvenate and help the earth with their own immune system so that they can heal themselves. So it's not a hopeless proposition to think that the earth can rebound. It's not to say that the earth will never have these, you know, like, like I said, there's no way to get rid of a lot of the things that we've done. But it's not to say that the earth is not resilient and cannot be so full of vibrancy. But, you know, we need to really take it seriously. And we need to start making different choices, especially those of us in the United States and, and in Canada, in this very privileged, developed world, because we're the ones using most of the resources. 
especially the privileged folks in this country, we're the ones using most of it. So yeah, it's like, we just have to choose where's our loyalty to, Hmm. who do we serve and what are we going to prioritize? And we've seen what happens when we prioritize the things we've been prioritizing. So it's really, it's really our choice. And it'll be interesting to see what we choose, especially in the next five to 10 years. Yes. And I'm really choosing to see this moment we're recording in to be a time of reconsidering what our needs are and reconsidering uh, the ways we go about in the world. This realization you have that like the mosquito bites aren't that bad (laughs) and that, you know, things can shift in our systems and we can adapt. And it is my hope. Yeah. Again, my prayer that we can, we can, I guess the thing that feels really important to me is that reenchantment with the wild, that reenchantment with the birds and the trees and the, you know, we're recording this in spring, the like sheer miracle that is life returning, at least deciduous life returning. And, um, just my hope is that people are taking more walks and moving slower, having slow mornings like you're talking about, engaging with their gardens if they can, going on hikes. And that seems like a really important part of this process because if if the magnifying glass is just on like giving up, then you know our little rebellious baby selves will be like, no. But if it can be a widened lens of like, but look at this. Look at what's still here. And that loyalty shift that I think you're saying you have to decide who you're loyal to, what you're loyal to. I think we're being given a gift. Not all of us have the time and space for this. I will fully acknowledge that. Depends on economic circumstances and children and where you live and what you're dealing with. But for a lot of us, particularly this privileged population you're speaking so directly to, there's an opportunity here to have a different lens of this world and like and our lifestyles. So that is my hope for myself as I continue to shift and for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, as we complete here, this beautiful conversation that feels, um, I really feel it in my heart right now, this sort of longing for this different, remediated thriving world what what projects are you focusing on right now you're such a catalyst for energy and and um i'm yeah i'm curious what you're working on right now and what or anything you'd like to bring our attention to that we can put money towards or energy or words to spreading the word to be a part of this shift Mm, yeah Oh, such a, yeah, I could answer that in so many ways, but I will say for me personally with For the Wild, we are focusing deeply on the podcast and I'm so grateful for it because I love being able to connect with community in that way and uplift stories and 
And I learned so much every episode. I'm shifted and molded and challenged and stretched. And I'm so grateful to have that intellectual and spiritual mm, workout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's there's always the podcast and people can listen at iTunes or Spotify or pretty much anywhere you can find podcasting and you can support us on Patreon. And that is really, really helpful for the whole for the wild team. And then we're still rolling with the 1 million redwoods reforestation project. And that has been such a, oh my goodness, what a journey of learning how to do reforestation with integrity and really Mm. connecting with the forest in a way that is both scientific and spiritual and learning from indigenous folks and traditional ecological knowledge and having it be community oriented and thinking about the biodiversity and thinking about how also not to try to be a savior or a human supremacist thinking Mm. we can figure it out and we know what's best for the forest. And if we could just do these things, then the forest will be okay. It's like, well, no, (laughs) you know, like we don't really know, like we can tend and we can be, we could be lovers or children or, you know, we, we can be in relationship to the forest, but I never want to pretend like I know what's best for these wise, wise, wise beings. And so how to do a physical project with all of that in mind and thinking about the resources like we've been talking about, you know, I don't want to use a million pots that then get tossed into a landfill in a few years, or I don't want to mine some Mm -hmm. light somewhere to have potting soil for the redwood trees. Like those are things don't make sense anymore. And they never did. And Certainly now we need to think about more low tech technology, like low tech practices for growing plants, not rely so heavily on the fossil fuel industry for all of the tools to grow Mm. the plants. So those are things that have really been keeping me super aware in this project. And this spring has been beautiful. We've been collecting cuttings and seeds and growing at a lot of different plants for the nursery. It's, and so for those of you who don't know, and you, you can find us on the website or Kickstarter and you can support us there with donations if you're feeling called to, if you want to be a part of this project or if you have access to cut land or community land and you want to grow redwoods and trees there and you're in this redwood region, please reach out because we definitely are always looking to expand our community. But yeah, it's been... So fascinating and challenging to really listen and slow down and do this with all the intention I'm trying to do it with. But yeah, we it's spring has been great. We've been working on building out the nursery, which is kind of like this living library, Noah's Ark of temperate rainforest species. And yeah, it's so much joy because Mm. I love making media. I love the podcast and the in the field episodes, which are in person episodes I've been doing up and down the coast to Alaska. Like, I I love it. I love being able to uplift people and really share these wisdoms that these amazing people have. But media is so different than hands in the soil kind of work. It's such a different time scale. I find it to be working with the earth is really 
mm, calls on me to have so much more patience <laughs> than than media. Yeah. Media feels way faster and more direct. And you know, if you make a mistake, like you know, say la vie. Where like with the earth, it's like I don't want to make mistakes. I don't want to be as cavalier. Not that I am with the media, but it's just it's just a whole different whole different thing. So yeah, those are those are the main projects we're continuing to work on. We're gonna be releasing another little mini series over the podcast starting probably next week. So I'm pretty stoked about that. And we'll depending on what happens with COVID, we'll um still be working. I just don't know exactly how it will look at this point, but we're still working to protect the Copper River Delta in Alaska from coal mining. So those of you who do follow for the wild, you'll be seeing that probably in the next six months, a campaign for the Bering River coal fields. And then, yeah, we're still very dedicated to the Tongass National Forest, making sure old growth trees are not being taken down for pulp, for ridiculousness. I mean, we shouldn't be cutting old growth at all for any reason. doesn't matter... Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if it's for the most beautiful piece of furniture. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what it's for. We shouldn't be doing it. So, yeah, we're we're keeping ourselves busy, and um, I'm so grateful to be working with my for the wild family day in day out on all this stuff. And our website, I think I may have mentioned it, but it's for the wild world, and you can find out all about all the stuff in a probably more articulate and eloquent way than I've described it. (laughs) And um, sign up for our newsletter if you want to keep in touch. Beautiful. Thank you. Yes. As a follower for many years, I think I came on when it was Unlearn and Rewild. Oh, amazing. Yeah. It's been so cool to really watch it grow and really get some, like really get some steam behind it. You have a team and yeah, this, um, when old growth ends film, really was powerful and to see really the kind of momentum you're getting with these projects. I'm so glad I asked, where can we put this energy? And you were like, here you go. It's like, yes, thank you. So I will also put all of those links um, in the show notes on belongingpodcast.com, depending on when you're listening to this. Ayana, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom, your ways of life, everything. I just so appreciate your time and your generosity. Thank you. Well, thank you. And I love hearing that you've been with us since Unlearnery Wild. That's like, we've been growing up together. And I I love knowing that. Yeah. I love knowing that. That makes me feel so happy that we've been with each other for that long. Because holy moly, you know, there's been so much growth and learning and expansion. So that really brings a smile to my face. Yeah. Yes, growing up together, adapting together. That's that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to keep doing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, be well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I know your time is sacred, and the fact that you spent it with me talking about belonging means a lot. If you want to access show notes or links to old episodes, check out belongingpodcast.com. And if you know a friend who could really benefit from listening to this episode, share it with them. I'll talk to you soon.